Bless the Lord. Thankful that you're here. I, I was hearing the word homogenous in my spirit this morning. Uh, homogenous, homo means same. Homogenous. And then we were singing, fill my cup and make me whole. And I was thinking of whole milk. And, and I, 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 there is such a theme of spring cleaning, of house cleaning going on right now. And um, that, it's a really good thing when it's done. But it's not fun when you're doing it. Does anybody like enjoy the spring cleaning? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work dusting out those corners and pulling out the weeds and getting into your cluttered closet or whatever it is. Spring cleaning is a lot of work. I'm just going to warn you, there's like such a spring cleaning coming because God is not interested in a heterogeneous spirit. He will not take a spirit that is divided, a heart that is divided. He will not allow us to show up in church or in our Christian circle in one way and then show up in every other part of our life, in our private life, in another way. Ouch! Did you have to go and say that? Like, as soon as you got up there, ah, Lord, he's going to deal with stuff. He's going to deal with some stuff because he's not about playing church. He never has been never was his idea. He was about building a people. He selected a people for himself and called them Israel. And he started with a guy named Abraham whom he called my friend, my friend Abe. And he walked. He started with Adam and walked and talked with him in the garden. And he's looking for a people who will be in his image all the way through, all the way through. The Godhead said, Genesis 1, let us, the Trinity, Make man in our image, in, in our likeness. Let us make them male and female in our image. And you being all you and who you are, like 100% you without any stops, and you being 100% you, that's what that harmony, did you hear that harmony this morning? It's because, you know, here's a pure alto, and here's a pure soprano, and here's a, a pure tenor slash a pure bass, right? And, and, and then when they all are playing in freedom and singing in freedom together, then you get this sound that nothing else can compare to. They do not sound that good on their own. And that's what God is looking for us in our spirit and in our walk with him, is that we would be fully free to be who we are in the body. And my thumbnail and my kneecap have very little to do with one another other than that they both serve me very well. So you're not going to look like anybody else in the body. But if you are doing your part in the body, the body is served well. I think that's where we're going today. So I uh, just kind of had to get that out because that's what I just felt like the Lord's saying, homogenous. And heads up, I'm coming after the dust in the corners. Okay. Anybody else have something to say? Not that I'm finished, but there you go. Welcome. John. You know, God orchestrates everything. We've seen that happen here so often. I had a word this morning. It was harmony. The harmony is when those who walk in relationship with God and, and in fellowship with him and fellowship with one another, that's his kingdom. But there's another kingdom, and that kingdom has no harmony. It's all futile, self-pride, wanting to control everything, demanding its own way. There's no harmony when that. Let us love one another. Let us be in harmony. I see God. Peace be. Peace be still. Lord, I just pray for peace right now over the whole service right now in the name of Jesus. No weapons formed against us will prosper. God is good. God is good. God is good. God is great. God is greater. God is greater. God is greater. The enemy wants to stir things up. We will not let this happen. 
because God is great. There's peace. There's peace. And I'm going to share this word because it goes with what Sue is talking about with sweeping out the corners. Sweeping out the corners. Have you been swept away? Some of you have found yourselves in a mountain of debt. It seems a bit taxing. It looks like your bed hasn't been made when it has. Just listen to this word. It's a very good word, and I don't want the enemy to destroy this word because it goes with the corners. It's about being swept away by his spirit. It looks like your bed hasn't been made when it has. But God can override all. He can sweep into all of the corners. He can pull out the very fibers that keep drawing you back in and keeping you close. God has not put you on a shelf and left you. You just need to straighten your suit of armor a bit and lean into what he is saying for you to do. His strategies are significant. Your inner boundaries that he has put within your soul are trying to correct themselves. So here is some key suggestions. Stay positive. Stay at peace. And choose to stay close to him. And soon you'll feel swept away. I have another word. This was at 2 in the morning. And I heard it from the Spirit, and I wrote it down. So I'm going to share it today. It says, we do not want to be carried off by the weight of this world. With the tossing and turning of life's problems, that it is important to not allow ourselves to become or get washed away in the undercurrent of life's current affairs. Instead, we need to stand on point and to be rock solid in our attitude, showing the world that we have all that we need when we face the turning of the tide by his spirit. We are not castaways. Please do not allow yourself to feel as though you have been thrown out to sea. Our God is greater and has stood the test of time, keeping his people well hidden and safe from danger. He is our stronghold, like the Bible says, our heart tower and our rock. Let's keep meeting and showing others that we care for them and that we follow a mighty God that saves. Thank you. Peace, peace, peace. Let's take a deep breath. You'll be okay. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you uh, you are in control, that you over are over all, that you have all authority in heaven and on earth. And we thank you that uh, you are in charge. And, Lord, we just uh, thank you for the blood of Christ that covers us and your, your authority in us to, uh, to just take, take authority. So we just take authority in the room in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for the blood of Christ. And we thank you that you are good and you're up to good things. And that you are an amazing God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Trav. <laughs> Bless you. Bless you. Well, good morning. Well, good morning. I, uh, I'm just going to lift this a bit here. Oh, <laughs> wrong way. It's <laughs> great. I don't know. I probably. Yeah. I, uh, I have a word. I, uh, I had a dream a few evenings ago, and I shared it with Michelle, uh, the Michelle back there, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I forgot her last name. <laughs> and I, uh, in in my dream, I was I was going on a drive with my mom, and we were going up the the Silver Creek Hill into town, 
and uh, an avalanche of rocks just kept coming down. And uh, uh, in, in the dream, all I remember is that I felt that we needed to go, keep going towards that avalanche of rocks, even though it seemed dangerous. And I just, just like what Michelle said, uh, don't let the rocks sweep you away into your family affairs, or, or not just affairs of any sort. Like, I, I had some, uh, I had some life-related issues at, at work happen, and just, that's just what it reminded me of, just to not get swept away into those, but keep in step with God. So I, that's what I wanted to share. Cool. <laughs> Bless you. Is there anybody else? Mr. Bill. I had one word today, too. It was from one of the songs, Overcomers. We are called to be overcomers. If we have nothing before us, and nothing to uh, pay attention to, to deal with, we are not overcomers. You have to have something to overcome in order to be an overcomer, right? You can't just say, I'm an overcomer and do nothing. That's, that doesn't make sense. So we are called to be overcomers. Lord told me many times over, I've called you to be an overcomer, you go through life's trials and tribulations. You'll find all sorts of things that come against you. You'll find all sorts of stuff that may not work out. But I still have called you to be an overcomer. Amen. All right. Amen. Well, you may have noticed Bruce is away today. And he and Janice um, went to Abbotsford for the day. It's their son-in-law's birthday. So they, are, they got out of Dodge, and uh, they needed a change of scenery other than going to a hospital all the time. So we just bless them in the name of the Lord. Lord, I bless the kids in, uh, in kids' ministry right now, too. We just bless them. We bless them with revelation of who you are and of who they are in you. And, Lord, I pray that... Um, everything that is taught, that the truth would sink into good soil in their hearts and cause them to be rooted and grounded in your love and to know uh, who you are and that they would just uh, walk with you all the days of their lives, that you would keep their hearts close to yours and that you would teach them uh, to walk according to your spirit and not according to the flesh. We just uh, thank you for those who minister to the kids and bless them with refreshing and with wisdom and grace and strength as they, as they lead the, the kids, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to make a couple announcements. Um, one is that uh, there will be an Easter sunrise service. Now, we've never done that, to my knowledge, as a fellowship here, but um, a number of other groups have, and the Baptist Church is doing it this year. And um, I got wind of it at Ministerial and asked if we could join in on that. For those who are interested, it's not obligatory. If you'd like to be up at the crack of dawn and, um, and meet down at the river. So this, this was a bit of a joke because the river has reshaped. So it was at, at like uh, at beside the river at the juncture of the Coquihalla and the Fraser. But that's kind of like way out there now because the river changed. But if you park at the end of uh, the Rotary Trail and... Uh, I guess, what is that, Wordle, it, um, you can park there and then you'll see the group in the trees at about 6.45. I'll update you on that closer to the date. The first time we did that was with Andrew Tarrant, if some of you remember him, the little Scottish preacher, and he looked at the time of when the sunrise was, but he hadn't calculated the fact that it had to get over a mountain. So the, the people are there in the cold playing the guitar and their hands are freezing and the kids are all curled up on the rocks and we're waiting, we're waiting and waiting for the sunrise. It finally happened. But um, they're, gonna, they're gonna look at when the math, they'll go like just before and find out when the sun actually cracks over the mountain because we live in a very mountainous region. And then after that, the Baptist church is having a pancake breakfast. So um, we have a couple people are going to help with readings at the river, and then uh, they need help with setup at 8 o'clock uh, for the pancake back breakfast and then some cleanup afterwards. And then we'll just have, we'll have our service here at the church. 
I never like to close the doors um, on, a, on any day that we can be here. The day it snowed and we didn't think anybody was going to come, 19 people showed up and a lot of them were visitors. So hallelujah. I think they were pretty much all from Alberta and they didn't notice the snow. <laughs> That's my theory anyway. A Jesus Revolution movie is uh, happening. It's coming this Friday the 30th. And um, we've got posters up here. I've taken some of them down to put them out in the, in the town and around. And Agassiz, Heather's going to Agassiz, and uh, the Lyons family has been, been plastering posters around. So um, <clears throat> if you have a particular place in mind that you need one, there's a few at the back. And then I think the, you guys still have a few, right? Some? Oh, you forgot to bring them. Never mind. They have them. Okay. All good. All good. And um, <clears throat> the church purchased 20 tickets. The tickets, sorry? Oh, yeah, it's all week. But it's, it's like it's not on certain days, so I'm not going to try to remember which days. But, yeah, you can see the schedule printed on the poster. So, um, so really support that, please, and invite people. And go, go, go often. Buy lots of popcorn. That's where the theater makes its money. We want to bless the theater. Um, so pr please really promote that. If you're on social media, throw it up on your Facebook page and advertise, because we would really like to see our theater bring in more family-friendly content. So this is a really good opportunity. Um, I have some tickets that the church has purchased to give away. They actually do say on them the Jesus Revolution movie. It's not a general ticket. And then it says $0, so not, someone can't go to try to cash it in again. So um, I know some of you are buying tickets yourselves to give away. But if you have people in mind that you want to give tickets to and, and you, uh, you want one of those, I've, I've got some with me, so just see me afterwards. And I think that's it. I'm going to move this if I'm going to use this in this microphone. Do I want what, John? Say it again. Travis, maybe you can come on up here again. So Travis is just going to help me with a little, little demonstration here. What's that? And a show. Sermon and a show. So I think you all know Travis. Faithful Uncle Travis. Hallelujah. All right, Travis. His, his, his horse is tied up around the corner, I'm sure. He, um, so, Travis, you, are you, are, you look like a cowboy. Are you indeed a cowboy? Right now, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, you identify as a cowboy. And a Christian. Okay, okay. This is, this is not rehearsed. <laughs> <laughs> How about, isn't he a great model? Okay, now, what would you say Travis is now? A Russian. A Russian, yeah. He's a very convincing one, too. Travis, are you, in fact, Russian? Right now, I am. <laughs> okay. Okay, one more. <laughs> what is Travis now? Travis, are you indeed a Viking? Right now I am. <laughs> okay, thank you, Travis. Let's give him a hand. Do you want to remain a Viking? Pardon? Did you want to remain a Viking or are you turning well, in your... 
getting a picture. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you for your, your help. Travis is like, where did you get these hats? It's like, welcome to the Martin household. I actually just have those hats at my house. So, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Isn't it interesting that with one item of clothing, you can create an identity? With one item of clothing, you can create an identity. Now, actually, Travis wasn't any of those things, was he? He's, a, he's Travis, through and through. Travis is, the, is the, like, the most extraordinary person at being Travis that I know, right? He's, he's really good at being Travis. And I wouldn't want him to be anything else. And so there's, there's, obviously, we all know there's a false narrative right now that says if, if you want to identify as something that you're not, it's, very, it's a very small change, a very superficial change that you can make until sometimes there are very not superficial changes that are made to conform to that image. We're going to talk about conforming to an image today. We're going to start talking about identity, which is one of our letters in our fish model. But I want to just read um, the scripture from Genesis 1. Then God said, 126, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over the livestock and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created a man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female. And that's, that's got to be the, the most basic biological identity we can have. Now, people identify as all sorts of other things. They identify as um, a nationality. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing Americans come to mind first. Um, got a couple Americans in the room, but so it's like if people, often, often Americans are very proud to be Americans. French are, French are pretty, pretty proud to be French. Um, you know, you don't usually hear Canadians bragging about being Canadians. We're, we're, pretty, we're pretty calm about that. Some people identify with a political party, you know. Some people identify with a sports team. Some people identify with movies or games that they play. That's big now. Whole, whole, uh, there's whole identity surveys on, am I an elf or a dwarf? Like if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, right? People want to know who they are. We've, we've always, it's an age-old question. Who am I? Who am I? And for us as believers, this is such a critical question that we know who we are, that we know who we are according to God, according to the scriptures, and that we know what it's like us to do. What is it like us to do? And what is it not like us to do. And usually that is defined in community. In Africa, you know, you've heard the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. In a collective society, like most of Africa and Asia, you are not a, you cannot be a lone entity. Your identity is part of a group. God is, as Bruce likes to say, God's bringing back his church. Part of our identity is as the body of the, the head, who is Jesus, who is Christ. Of course, the very first thing that the enemy came after in the Garden of Eden was identity. Did God really say, he comes after truth, did God really say, he comes after the goodness of God, God doesn't want you to be like him, and he comes after Eve's identity then you will know what God knows and you will be like him, except she already was. She was already made in the image of God. And so the lies of the enemy have not changed. Does anybody felt like they've been subject to the lies of the enemy in their identity? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I would say the vast majority of us have, that is under attack, and it's often in the you are not 
You are not enough. You are not this or you are not that. And so we understand this challenge that we need to be secure in our identity. And as I was praying about this, I felt like we weren't done with Joseph. And we did Joseph 1. <laughs> I saw it got posted on the website, Joseph Part 1. I was like, oh, I think there's supposed to be a Part 2 or so. And I, I just felt like Joseph has so much to speak to us. And I'm just going to turn this light on a little bit more. It was in my eye. I need it to read. So Joseph, <clears throat> Joseph is the, um, the, the longest bio, bio in the Bible, in, uh, other than Abraham is kind of scattered throughout the Old and New Testament. But this is from chapter 37 to 50 in Genesis, minus 38, which is about Judah and Tamar. It's all about the life of Joseph. And Joseph is exemplary, and we know that. He, he just keeps going. He keeps taking it, licking and keeping on ticking. And it's, it's, it's remarkable, but there's things for us to see because he is foreshadowing Christ, for one thing, but he, I think he also knows stuff. He knows stuff that could help us and help us to get through and help us to understand because what I'm finding is I'm all about freedom. Most of us are all about freedom. Do you want freedom? Who's going to say no to freedom? Nobody. Who is going to say yes to sanctification? Because there is no freedom without sanctification. There is no freedom without being made holy, being conformed to the image of God. That's where the freedom is. So freedom is free, but it'll cost you because you get to die. You get to die to yourself. So here, let's just uh, read a little bit about, about Joseph. <clears throat> So Joseph starts, uh, we, we just come into the story. So you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs, and Jacob has 12 sons. And Joseph is the youngest, and he's the son of favor. And they make Joseph, uh, his dad makes him this, we usually say the multicolored coat, or a coat with long sleeves and a, a long hem so that he didn't have to work. It was a princely coat. Somebody who wore that coat showed up. If you saw that coat, you'd go, there's the prince of the family. There's the guy who's picked to be the inheritor in the family because he's wearing this really fancy robe and he wasn't expected to do any work. So we meet Joseph when he's 17 and at the beginning of chapter 37 and it says that um, he's the, he's, uh, his brothers are all out tending flocks and Joseph is the favorite, of, favorite kid of the family. And that already is going to be a, a knock against him because the brothers know he's favored. And so they hate him. And he's also not real bright at telling, keeping secrets or not irritating his brothers. So, he, so uh, you can, yeah, we, we don't want to keep having interruptions, so... Genesis. We're in Genesis 37. So, uh, so Joseph has dreams, and then he makes the mistake of telling his family the dreams, and then they, they uh, hate, the brothers hate him even more. Even his, his parents have a little bit of trouble with that. And Joseph had brought a bad report about his brothers. So if you know the story, Joseph is sent by his dad to take... Uh, to go take supplies to the brothers out tending the flocks and then to uh, bring a report back how they're all doing. It takes them a while to find them. When the brothers see him coming, of course, he's recognizable from a great distance because of his fancy robe. And he, the brothers say in their hearts, let's, let's end this dreamer, the dream expert. Let's end it. And so they plot in their hearts to kill their own brother, which should be shocking. It should be shocking. Like we jokingly, brothers and maybe cousins, say to each other, wow, I, I, could, I could kill you. But we're not, we don't really mean it, hopefully. But these guys actually plotted together to kill Joseph. And what do they do? They remove, they throw him in a pit, in a dry cistern, and they remove 
the fancy coat. And Joseph already has these dreams that he's going to be somebody pretty remarkable. And it says, when back, go to the end of the story, when Joseph is a prince and like a prime minister in Egypt, and the brothers come and they said, we heard your cries and we didn't listen. So there's Joseph, he's in a well, a dry well, and his brothers sit down and have a meal, and Joseph is crying out, and they're able to just go ahead and eat their lunch, and then say, well, we won't, we won't kill him, we'll sell him. So they take the, blood, the robe, and they tear it like he's been ravaged by a wild animal, and they dip it in blood. And they know that this is going to figuratively or maybe literally kill their father, but they're completely hardened to this at this point. Joseph loses garment number one. He loses his identity as a prince. It's so parallel to Jesus. Jesus comes down from heaven, the one who is the word of God, who existed before the foundation of the world, who spoke the world into being, and he comes down and he is put in a, on a cross. Joseph is thrown into a well and cries out. And Jesus in the garden says, if there's any other way to do this, please let's do it that way. But he, for the love of people, Christ is able to go through and die in our place so that we don't have to pay the payment that is going to be exacted because the penalty for sin is death. And so the robe is torn and it's stained with blood, just like Jesus has his tunic taken off and they, 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 they barter for it, they, they gamble for it, and one tunic is taken away and the rest of his whole body is ripped and torn. The interesting thing is that his dad at this point, Jacob, hears the news that his son has been ravaged and he sees the robe and he believes the lie. And I think it just shows us the power of a lie. The power of a lie. Joseph was alive. He was in a pretty tough place, but he was alive. But when circumstances speak to us and our, our feelings follow, our emotions follow, which was a very natural thing to do, and he had no way to follow up on this report. All of the brothers testified that it was true. He believed the lie. And we believe lies. We do. We believe lies that parade as truths, and it causes us great loss because at that point, Jacob becomes a different person. He, sp he spends the rest of his life mourning the loss of this favored son, and he's, 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 a, he's a bitter man at the end. When he's presented to Pharaoh, he's like, yeah, my days have been long and miserable. He's a bitter man. So we need to be aware of the lies to be aware of the lies that the enemy wants to present to us as truth because he wants to rob us of life and that more abundantly. Lies about your identity. Lies about your situation. So we don't know how long Joseph's in the cistern, but he's in a dark place. And so the road to the fulfillment of his dreams looks like it's just been dead-ended, I'm sure, in his boat. And Joseph pleads with his brothers, and he's sold to slave traders, which would have been relatives of Ishmaelites. They were Abraham's other kid. When he didn't wait for the promise, they were descendants of them, and they take him off to Egypt. Egypt is an incredible metropolitan place already. Some of the pyramids are built. The Sphinx is built. And Joseph arrives. He doesn't speak Egyptian. He doesn't know the culture. He's put on a slave block. And he's already stripped. I don't know what he's got on at that point. Probably not very much. And he's sold into an officer's house, into Potiphar's house. And Potiphar makes him the manager of the household. And any idea how long he's there? Yeah, like 11 years. He's 17 when the story starts. <clears throat> he's 30 when he's made prime minister. He's overlooked a couple years in prison, 
and so the intervening time would be 11 years, so we don't know how long he was in prison, so at least 11 years, and however long else he was in prison before that. So you're talking um, a, a number of years in the household. And at, at this point, J Joseph is garbed with something else. He's garbed like a slave, but he's a household slave, and he's, um, you know, they know him by name, and he's worked there a long time. And you know the story now is that Potiphar's wife starts to make a play for Joseph. He goes in, he's probably 17, he's there for 11 years, he's 28, he's well-built, he's good-looking, and she says, hey, come to bed with me. And what does Joseph say? Do you remember? How could I do this against God? So when, this is a huge insight into, into Joseph's character and into the, how he is enduring and his identity. So I don't know if it's Joseph's dreams that are causing him to hold on or that he's going, my great-granddad was Abraham, friend of God. But Joseph has a really solid base for who he is and what it's like him to do. Because at this point, he doesn't say, because she's already shooed all the other servants out of the household. It wasn't a matter of getting caught. He could have said, okay, this looks, looks like a clean getaway. We could do this. He says, I cannot sin against God and, and do this. This isn't a, just about that you're someone else's wife, or it's not just about me. This is my relationship, my identity with God. I cannot violate that. I cannot sin against God. I think that's like the highest form of understanding sin. It's against God. It's, it's going to be against his own body and his own purity, but it's against God. And if we understand that, because we're, again, in a society, as the Egyptians were, as the Romans were, as many cultures are, outside of of the church is they're going to give it another name, you know, alternative lifestyles, um, finding a cry for help in a bad marriage. That's sin. That's sin. You can call it by lesser names, but God sees it as sin. And so, so Joseph remains faithful. And it's very interesting that when he runs out of the house, what does he leave behind? Garment number two. His slave garment. And it says it like seven times. His cloak, his cloak, his cloak. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, essentially in his underwear. And she, when she saw that he had left his cloak, this is 39, 13, <clears throat> in her hand and had run out of the house, she called the household servants and said, look, this Hebrew has brought, been brought to us to make sport of us. This Hebrew, he's lived in the house 11 years. I think she knows his name. But in order to distance herself, because she's been, she's been rejected, and how many of us, when we're rejected, lash out and do something harmful? Identity shows up the most when we're under stress. So, Lolo, do you have that uh, rare thing? So there's this acronym that I would like you to see. Um, the acronym is RARE. I think it's super helpful because it helps us to understand what our identity is and what emotional maturity is. Joseph may have been the young man in the situation, but Joseph acted with integrity, and he acted honorably, and he acted like an adult. He took responsibility. When we are in a stressful situation, if you're task-oriented like me, I just like to get the job done. And if you're in my way when I'm trying to get my job done, it may not go well. But hopefully, I'm growing, because we're all growing, remember that operative word? Hopefully, I'm growing in emotional maturity and spiritual maturity, which I'm going to say again, are equal by a lot of definitions. Emotional maturity and spiritual maturity go hand in hand. That if you can remain relational, and that means 
and it's the people who are closest to you who are going to testify whether or not you are homogenous in this right. Does your wife or your husband or your kids or whoever, whoever is around you the most, are they going to say you're homogenous, that when you're under stress, you still show up as you? Because this is really the testing ground. Because if you can act one way in church, and we are all smiles, and we think you're all groovy and spiritual, but at home you're a beast, God is after that. God is after that. God is after that. Because that is a lie. And it doesn't, it, we're not wearing Christ well in that situation. So when we're under stress, to ask ourselves, do we remain relational? Well, rational is good as well. It's actually relational, but rational, <laughs> rational can be helpful as opposed to hysterical. Um, you know, some men have said, my wife doesn't go hysterical, she goes historical. It's like, well, you did this, you know. Uh, she gets all hysterical and brings up the past. These are not small things. They are not small things. If, if you are a, a mess because you didn't get your parking space or because your waitress is slow or because some little thing flies in your face and you're going to you know, do whatever it is. Some people blow up. Some people get really quiet. Some people take themselves out of the situation. We need to be homogenous. We need to act like ourselves so people aren't afraid of us. It's like, well, I'm not sure if I can go there because they might do something that I wouldn't like to interact with. That's not homogenous. And God is coming after us to say, you got, some, you got a box in the bottom of your closet with some high heels that really don't work for you anymore. We're getting rid of those. And it's easy to say, I want freedom. But it takes humility to say, I want sanctification. So I know like you're looking at me like, we know all this. We've heard it before. God is after this. He's after me, and he's after you on a whole new level. Say yes to sanctification because he's serious. He's super serious. The number one reason people do not come to Christ is because of Christians. Because, I mean, you guys... Tony has testimonies about working in restaurants, and on Sunday when all the Christians would come in after church, and all the waiters and waitresses would hide. I wouldn't want that table. We don't want that table. They're really rude. They're really demanding, and they don't tip well. That's our reputation. Sometimes in the world, <laughs> Steve's smiling over there. Sometimes in the world, we need that mirror held up to us to say, this is how you present we, we just, we had a lady that we've known since we've moved to town that, I, I, honestly, I, I'm, I'm sad to say, I sort of like go down a different aisle if I meet her in the grocery store because uh, she's not someone that I say, oh, look, my day just got better. And when I see her, I go the other way. Well, then I found out she was a believer and I'm like, oh, Jesus, that's really sad. That's really sad. We don't want to be those people. We don't want to be those people. We want to be being conformed. And that's not perfect because the kingdom's about being conformed. It's not, it's not about being perfect, but it is about being willing. And it is about submitting to being conformed to the image of the sun. Is anybody feeling this? Good. Okay, because I'm like, it's serious. It's so serious. And, you know, if you find yourself in that moment and we tend to respond in patterns, Satan's not a brilliant guy, but he can see the patterns. And so when he sees you responding in anger, when he sees you responding in frustration, when he sees you responding in punishment through silence, whatever it is, whatever your deal is, God has dealt you that hand. You're deciding to enter into it. And I'll give you an example I just heard this week of deciding to go with whatever, whatever comes my way and be myself. Talk about acting like yourself. So I just heard this story. I was um, a, a Catholic priest that teaches at, does podcasts at um, universities. 
And he talked about a friend of his who was a medical doctor, and he um, got Lou Gehrig's disease. He got ALS, and he just completely was losing mobility and all, all control of his muscles. And he was, a, he was a practicing doctor. He was a teaching physician at a medical college, and he wrote textbooks. And as he lost control and mobility, his family invested in software that responded to his facial expressions so that he could still communicate to the point where it got down to the very end, all he could move was one eyebrow. He wrote a textbook when he was in that condition. I will never forget that story because there are times when I do the pity party thing and go, woe is me, nobody likes me, I may as well eat worms or move to Australia and, and have this little pity party of about really nothing. So I'm looking at Joseph and I'm going, dude, you're in a cistern and your brothers were going to kill you, but they just let you off nice and sell you like Jesus got sold out. And then he's faithful for 11 years in this guy's household. And then he gets wrongly accused of rape and thrown in prison. And Joseph's the one eyebrow guy. Joseph's totally the one eyebrow guy. He's not going, man, this stinks. When are the dreams coming, God? I can't take it. I didn't choose to be here. Who's in charge here? just seems to trust God and it says and God was with Joseph and God was with Joseph and everything Joseph touched like the Midas touch just turns to gold Potiphar, Potiphar prospers the jail prospers the guy in charge it says the Lord turned the jailer's heart who's orchestrating it God is the Lord turns the jailer's heart towards Joseph and Joseph is favored. Joseph has no idea how the story's going to end. It's easy for us because we see Joseph's story and go, yeah, well, it's not going to be worth it, Joe. Just hang in there. Hangeth thou in there? But we don't know. He didn't know. We know because we've got the book. But guess what? You know because you've got the book and you've got the end of the story. And this is a glory story. Because we all land in heaven. We finish the race. Run it to win. Because you know the end of the story. Don't wimp out and do the pity party thing. It's not that season. It's not that season. And don't just go for getting there by the skin of your teeth. Go for gold. Go for gold. Run to win. we got some athletes in the group. Run to win. Run to win. Finish the race. Look like like Paul who says, I poured it all out, poured up myself out like a drink offering. I gave it all. I said, I'm in this. I'm so convinced. I met the risen Jesus, and I'm convinced there's no one like him. I, died. I was ready to kill for him. Now I'm ready to die for him. That's what Jesus did to the apostle Paul. Act like yourself. That means your best self. That means when I come to you on a good day and you've had a nice meal, and the sun is shining, and somebody just told you they loved you. That's your best self. And you can be like that. It's not fake. When you know you are a child of God, when you know you are born again of the Spirit of God, when you know that your hope is heaven, and that Christ, the hope of glory, Colossians says, dwells in you, that I can just say, Holy Spirit, I'm really depleted right now. The bounce has gone out of my ball. Come on in and give me some joy, and he will do it. Because that's what the next thing is. How quickly do you reset to joy? Now, I have seen progress in so many people, and I've seen progress in myself, and Gord could probably testify to this. You know, the pouties are going out the window. And Gord says, hallelujah, Right? Because the people we live with know, they know if we're, you know, that we're, we're, you know, we're like little lambs in church and we're Godzilla at home. Come on. That's not the way it should be. That's not the way it should be. So I could, you know, 
I can, I can punish. I'm pretty good at it. But, like, what's the point? What's the point? Life is too short. Anybody know that time goes really quickly? Man, I was waiting to be 16 just about, like, three days ago. Come on. It's going really quickly. It's too, life is too short to waste the time being angry, to waste time punishing people for not being like me. That's really what that's about. It's not punishing them for being like them because we're all imperfect. They're just imperfect in a way that's different from me, right? Not wrong, just different. Male, female, right? Love and respect. When a, when a woman doesn't feel loved, she lashes out in disrespect. This is from the Love and Respect Marriage Course. When she doesn't feel, when he doesn't feel respected, he acts in an unloving manner. When she feels unloved, she gets even more disrespectful. When he feels disrespected, he gets more unloving. Woo, 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 woo. There it goes. It's called the crazy cycle. Anybody experience that one? Don't have to put up your hand. There we go. Everybody does because God, look at God's design. He made male and female. This looks like wired so differently. And I, you know, I, I had my boys sit down and lecture me on, on what it was like to be a man because obviously I didn't get it at times living with four men, three sons and a husband. And they're like, Mom, that was just disrespectful. And I'm like, Really? Yeah, like big time. I'm like, Oh, okay. Tell me about it because I don't get it. We don't get it, girls. We don't get it, but we need to get it, and we need to make it a point of intentionality to get it because it's a testimony to the world. Christ in the church. Joseph gets a bride at the end, doesn't he? Joseph gets, gets a, a daughter of a, a high priest. Jesus gets a bride, and she's going to be without spot or wrinkle, but our marriages are a testimony of, of a heavenly relationship. Marriage is, is a symbol of oneness. And it's meant to be glorious, not laborious. And it's not, by the way, there to make you happy. It's there to make you holy. Our difficult relationships are to bring us to terms with our own flesh and that we would overcome, remain relational, keep the person that you're in conflict with first, not the issue. You know what? In the kingdom, it's not about being right as much as it is about being in relation and keeping the relation intact so we can, we can walk together, walking together, walking together, in the garden, walking together, and that we would act like ourselves, our best selves, and people could say, it's predictable how you're going to show up. This is who I am, and this is how I act in every circumstance. Wouldn't that be glorious? Anybody? Yeah, right? Come on. We're not there yet, but we're moving in the right direction because we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. When God was just talking to me there during worship, and I was like, oh, God, this whole homogenous thing could get really heavy. And I was like, whoa. And then I just felt like the Lord said, this feels so good after cleaning day. Just feels so good. Just feels like a fresh start. Don't worry. Don't worry, I'm in charge. Oh, yeah, right, you're in charge. I love that part. I don't think I could do this if he, if he wasn't in charge. Joseph says, I'm just going to be faithful today. I'm going to use my one eyebrow. I'm going to see what God does because God is good. Well, let's see, back in the garden, the enemy says God is not telling you the truth. He's not good, and you're not who he said you are. Hmm, it's like a... It's like a tape reel, right? He's playing the same tune. He's telling the same lies. But we are not unaware of his schemes, right? We are not unaware of his schemes. So if you, you know what? If the devil can see a pattern in your life, you are smart enough to figure out what that is. If the devil can see it, you can see it. Ask God and say, God, show me in the mirror of your word where I am acting in ways that bring dishonor to your name. And he'll do it. And he goes, yay! Something like that. That's, I mean, that's something like that. He's really excited 
than when we invite the Holy Spirit to come in and do a thorough work. Paul says, this is what this is all about, to present every man complete in Christ, whole and mature. Every man complete, every man complete, no man left behind, saving Private Ryan. Come on, we're going after every person. That's why you need the body. You need the body. This week I had somebody bring me up on something of which I was not, un- I was not aware. And that took bravery. That took courage. And you know what? Then I could look at it and say, I needed to know that. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for caring enough to share. And thank you for your concern. And that I could respond and hopefully didn't, you know, bite anybody's head off or, or scare anybody. Or that respond in humility. Respond in humility. We're almost finished here. Reset to joy. How quickly can you reset to joy after a stressful situation? How quickly can you reset to truth? Because if you're thinking truth, you can reset to joy. If you're thinking lies, watch out. You're, 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 you're wallowing for a while. And it's a measure. And you can, you can increase your joy. You can increase your joy. We've talked about this before. Do something silly. Sing happy birthday. Sing, start to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. My, my go-to is, I got joy like a fountain, I've got joy like a fountain. Do something silly. If it's, if it's actually physical, it'll work more quickly. You know? If you're, you know, Sean, if you're at home and you suddenly see Teresa going, I got joy, you know, you know she's overcoming. That's overcoming, right, Bill? That's overcoming. That's, that's, that's when we say, I don't want to go there. I don't have time to fiddle with this. I don't have time to live under the lies of the devil. I don't have time to be defeated because Jesus is already victorious. I don't have time for this. I'm going to walk in victory because it's already paid for. I'm going to say yes to being made holy. I'm going to, be say, I'm going to say yes to being conformed to the image of his son. It's a potter's clay. Throw on some water. That's the Holy Spirit. Press that clay, shape it into what he wants. Say yes. Say yes to the press. Endure hardship well. That's rare, a rare believer. Should be a normal believer, right? When we're squeezed, Jesus should come out, right? Like grapes. Squish them, grape juice comes out. Squeeze a Christian, Christ should come out. So let's just wrap it up. Joseph loses a couple other garments. Let me just go through it quickly. When he goes to prison because he didn't touch Potiphar's wife and is there for a number of years, and he remains relational. He's in charge of the prison, and he sees the baker and the cupbearer, and he says, dudes, why are you looking so sad today? He notices. He's not self-absorbed. When I'm, my eyes are on me, I can't see anybody else. When my eyes are on me, everybody else is the problem. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When my eyes are on me, you are a really big problem. When my eyes are on me, you're really great. It's called true humility. When I am humble and thankful, ain't nothing can get me. I'm in in the Jesus groove. When I am humble and thankful... I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, and it will be okay. You get little blips in your graph. When I was a young, married, newly married person, here was my, here was my emotional graph. Ah! 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 And here's Gord. You think that's why God put us together? Right? Some of you know what we're talking about here. And so Gord is, like, really glad that I get excited about some things, but he's really glad I don't, like, bottom out anymore. It's good. It's really good. So you have a baker and a cupbearer come into prison, and they both had dreams, and they both are about three days. I love the three-day thing, right, Sean? Three days in the scripture. And they have dreams. And sometimes God is speaking to people in the world and saying, there's something going on, and I'm going to tell you about it. And they have no idea how to interpret it. And that's where you come in. So in that case, you're kind of like Joseph. Because you're going to come in with heavenly wisdom, and you're going to say, God is speaking to you. And he's calling you in, and he's got more for your life. And here's what it means. But you know what? It's really that we're the baker and the cupbearer. Because Jesus came in to the prison. It doesn't matter. And he says, 
In three days, you'll know that what I said to you is right and correct. And here's the thing. It's not just the cupbearer who gets saved by Jesus. It's the, it's the baker who had his head chopped off. Jesus comes in and says, it doesn't matter what you've done. I can save you now if you will believe. I'm here with you in this hellhole. I'm here with you in the pit. I'm here with you. I paid the price. I'm not here because I'm guilty. I'm here because I love you, and I'm going to do something about your situation. You know, your situation is almost irrelevant. The situation you're in, good or bad, it's pretty much almost irrelevant. Paul's writing these glorious letters, Colossian of these incredible Christological passages about who Jesus is, and he's going off into ecstasies about how wonderful Jesus is, sitting in a really lousy prison. It doesn't really matter where you are. All we can do is steward our response. Steward our response. Show up wearing Jesus. Oh, wait, I think there's some scriptures like that. I think there's something that says, put on Christ. Do you remember that one? A lot of them, so I've got to find which ones I want to use. Colossians 3.10, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Ephesians 4.24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. There's your identity. Because I believed and was born again by the Spirit of God, I have righteousness. It's not mine. Woohoo! Hallelujah! It's Christ's. It's impeccable. It's untouchable. True righteousness. It must be time for me to stop. Thank you. <laughs> and holiness. And my holiness is in process. It's at once imputed to me, and I'm seen as holy. And I'm being made holy. So when it gets tough and you're feeling the squeeze, go, okay, yay. I'm feeling the squeeze. God's up to something good because he will continue the process until that day of Christ Jesus. That's his promise. For all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He saved us. He called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave to us. In Christ Jesus before the ages began. The last robe. After two years, the, the cupbearer says, oops, Pharaoh has a dream, and it's a warning. You know, most of the dreams in scripture are to non-Christians. I don't know if you've no, noticed that. Like 60% of them are to people who are not worshiping the true God. And the true God gives him a revelation, and some, somebody who walks with God comes and tells him what it means, and usually they come into the kingdom. So Joseph is called up, and he loses the prison garb, and he's shaved because Egyptians had bald heads. So he shaves the beard. He shaves. <laughs> and, and that, you know, in, in the Old Testament, that in the law, when you were having a fresh start, if they took a woman who was from a, a conquered people, they made her shave her head, clip all her fingernails and stuff, and she had to go through purification. So here's Joseph, loses another garment, loses the identity, which was none of them his true identity, because he knew who he was, and he knew what it was like him to do. And he's brought into Pharaoh's presence. Of course, he interprets the dreams. He tells about the seven cows and the, the seven heads of wheat which was pretty neat because at the beginning he had the wheat bowing down to him. So we have full circle. And he's given a new name. And he's given a wife. It's so Christological. It's absolutely cool. It so foretells what Jesus is going to do. And Jesus given the name above every name. And he's given the bride. And there'll be the marriage feast of the Lamb at which we are invited. It's such an incredible cosmic story. And he's given a royal robe now, like the royal robe with the, he started. And he's given a ring of authority. And that is the picture of us. And it's a picture of Jesus, who is the person who feeds everybody. I am the bread of life. Joseph just stocked up wheat so people could eat. 
Jesus is the sustenance. He is the source. He is the man in the wilderness. He is the bread of life. In the group we worked in in Chad, he, we said, he, Isa El Masi, uh, no, I'm not going to remember it. He's the bull, bull in French. It was the bull of life. He was the millet paste of life because that's what they ate every day, twice a day. If God is saying to you, you got some stuff that needs to get hauled out of the closet. We need to sweep in the corners. We need to reset some things. I'm calling you to maturity, and I am not preaching to anybody but myself. You know, sometimes people are like, you're, you're talking about me. No, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. But God, what we heard, the Spirit of God doesn't speak like a drip. He speaks like a river. He speaks, he's speaking the same thing across the body of Christ because he wants a bride without spot or wrinkle. So let's just pray and say yes and keep saying yes. You know, the seeking, keep seeking. Knock, keep knocking. Ask, keep asking. And Lord, say, I don't want to be handicapped like this in my spirit. I want to run hard with you. I want to go for the gold. Keep maturing me. Keep helping me to respond correctly in my difficult situations. And keep helping me to build relationships that give glory to you. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you are such a, a person who, who loves with such passion that you come after us. You pursue us. And, you, Lord, that you're committed to refining us, conforming us to the image of Jesus. Help us to put on Christ and not to say yes to the desires of the flesh, which pull us away from you and just do tons of damage to us and to the kingdom. Lord, would you walk through us? Would you love through us? Would you live through us? And would you just tattoo our hearts with yes, 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 no matter the cost, and that we, most of all, God, would wear humility, wear humility like a garment like you did, who being in the very image of God became a slave, became a servant, and died a criminal's death on a cross. Lord, we say yes, whatever it takes, Lord, we say yes. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. 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 Hallelujah. I don't know, do you gals want to do one more? We're kind of late. Do you want to go one more song, or are you in a hurry? No. Lorraine says no. All right. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Have a wonderful week. Go in God.